0: Have you subscribed to the OTB Football Podcast? Still feel as if Everton will have enough to get over. Like I said, more of a good feeling when it comes to Everton. Yeah, it'll be fascinating. there will be more twists and turns. Subscribe now to the OTB Football Podcast stream wherever you get your podcasts, and download the OTB Sports app the football show on Off The Ball with Sky watch Premier League Women's Super League EFL Scottish Premiership and much more live on Sky Sports I prepared to anything I can well, to do play, play, it play. Then. play do it then what about your start to the game ah, it wasn't bad was it <laughs> why should there be an honest answer being a mistake how can a modern day manager not have a mobile phone hey very welcome back to oh. Off The Ball Saturday here on Newstalk Shane Helen with you through until 7 o'clock just a 6 hour show, show today extended of course for the Six Nations later on 445 Ireland against Scotland in the Aviva Stadium of course if Ireland win it's the first triple crown a uh, first trophy on home soil since 2004 um, and of course then we're hoping for England to do us a favour a little bit later on by beating the French which would secure a Six Nations Championship for Ireland but uh, Brent Pope will be in studio with myself um, for the duration from four to seven Fiona Hayes as well is on the line from the Aviva Stadium Aisling O'Reilly is there for us as well uh, if you missed the Saturday panel just before the ads you had uh, some Formula 1 chat of course qualifying in Bahrain today for the Grand Prix getting underway in around an hour so three o'clock PM Irish time uh, for that one uh, in Bahrain. Plenty of stories we got into there with Chris Medland uh, and with Recca Clancy as well. So you get the podcast on the OTB Sports app or wherever you get your usual podcast. Some uh, Formula One news as well <clears throat> that's come in this uh, this afternoon. Uh, the report the Abu Dhabi Grand Prix report uh, only finally coming in now uh, from December's race. The key takeaways the report found that the uh, race director Michael Massey was acting in good faith and to the best of his knowledge this of course was the incident that saw Max Verstappen take the title ahead of Lewis Hamilton Uh, but he admits human error led to the fact that not all cars were allowed to unlap themselves but then as the result of this race and title are valid final and cannot now be changed so just tuck them until the final hour really before the the new season kicked off for them to confirm that but um. Loads still to come, across, uh, of course, across the show, uh, but it is time for OTB Football Saturday and time to say a very good hello to the, the two lads in the studio, the broadcaster and journalist Johnny Ward and, of course, uh, the Irish Independence, Dan McDonnell. Lads, afternoon. Afternoon, Shane. Are we keep it. We have the uh, former Irish international striker David Connolly on the line as well. Good afternoon, David. Good afternoon, Shane. Johnny, Dan, how you doing? Keep it really Keep it, keep I, I never know. You know, some players you, you introduce them by a certain club, like Kevin Caban was kind of probably associated with Everton, maybe. You've had a lot of clubs, but like, do you have any of those clubs that you associate yourself with more or still follow quite closely? <laughs> but, or Are you actually it, it,
1: trying to be nice to him here? Or are you trying to say, Yeah, like, you had a lot of clubs yeah. in fairness? No, you? no, it's, yeah. a good thing. it's a good <laughs> thing. A
0: lot of people wanted him. Yeah, yeah. Yeah,
2: <laughs> but yeah, more, more clubs than Jack Nicholas. But I, I guess it, it allows me to um, uh, kind of uh, work because normally if you if you're doing a bit of punditry, you know, you get associated with one club or another club. But because I've had about 20, it keeps me in work, you know. Yeah, it's like when you have
1: that, you know, this like a supposedly unique perspective of bringing on a player who played for both clubs about 27 yes. years ago. And it's like, yeah, yeah
2: what does yeah. he have to offer? David, you
1: could
0: be yeah. there all
2: season. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. So uh, I'm kept busy enough anyway.
0: Absolutely I should mention our Football Saturday brought to you by Sky get more of the sports you love on Sports Extra with BT Sport and Premier Sports we have got uh, Aston Villa nil Arsenal 1 in front of us here 75 minutes on the clock uh, at Villa Park Bakaio Saka with the goal for Arsenal in the first half uh, for this one and really heavy favourites you know, you'd have to say for that uh, top four place the, this will put them I think four points clear of Manchester United and of course that uh, extra game in hand as well so Arsenal in the driving seat <clears throat> what a game last night as well at Molyneux I mean Wolves 2 Leeds 3 I don't know David did you, did you get a chance to see any of this this game it was a bit of a a mad game of football, an old cliched game of two halves.
2: Yeah, absolutely, and um, obviously two 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 weeks in a row now for Leeds, two games in a row, which is massive for them. But I've got to say the defending from Wolves was was shocking. Romain size had a nightmare for both of the goals, the two the first two, and um, they kind of had it in their own hands, Wolves, and and sort of threw it away. I don't know what the lads think about the the second yellow for Raúl Jiménez, but. Mm. I'm not so sure that that was a yellow, you know, to be honest. And that really, that really
0: killed Wolves. It was one of those that kind of almost seemed like Jimenez and the keeper collided simultaneously. A little bit harsh, maybe, on on Raul Jimenez. Like, it's it's one of those where sometimes the goalkeeper gets the benefit of the doubt for fouls quite often. And, uh, look, Millier was injured after the foul, but um, certainly changed the course of the game, it has to be said, David.
2: Yeah, yeah. I mean, up to then, I think Wolves had looked uh, pretty comfortable. Look, they might have come back into it anyway, Leeds, and they showed great character and they did score some good goals. But like I say, I mean, Romain Sice, was at fault for a few, um, and they kind of contributed even with 10 men to sort of their own their own downfall really um but but I, I don't know it just seemed like Raul Jimenez was going for the ball and as we know he he came off the worst um against David Luiz as we all know so when he was down you're thinking ah, oh, you know hopefully this isn't bad for him but it doesn't mean every challenge ends up in a card you know and uh I thought the more you looked at it normally things look worse but the more you looked at it the more you thought well actually you know that just seems like a a collision I don't think I don't think he was necessarily reckless and it certainly cost him I think
1: It's kind of mad as well like the you know it's rare that you get the outpouring of sort of almost grief for um, a manager going as Bielsa did but it just it did look I guess it did look David at the time that just with the the way the trajectory it was going and his contractual situation the possibility he was going to leave it, it probably did look like one of these times and it was actually a good idea just to get rid of the manager and make a change
2: yeah, I mean, it's a big call, right? Because, I mean, the impact he's had has been has, has sort of been huge in a short period of time. And you mentioned that the outpouring of grief, it's almost akin to someone who's been a manager there for sort of 10, 20 years, you know, but that showed the impact he had. Um, it just wasn't changing for him. And, and I think the way they were playing, I think, do you know what? I think the players lost belief in it. I think they lost belief in the aggression of going man for man all over the pitch when they were picked apart at times and obviously conceded a lot of goals. I think he was really unlucky with the injuries he had, certainly in the front part of the pitch, you know. Um, But, you know, Jesse March has come in and, you know, he's eventually got his wins and, um, you know, really steadied the ship. So, um, but I I thought Bielsa brought a lot to the Premier League, you know, Uh, uh, I really did. but just a few things went against him in the
1: end have you have you had an experience of that where um because we'll talk about like young managers now and like i was at shelburne last night and damien Duff was probably like the worst night he's had so far as a manager like yeah have you had experience of like this manager who for so long that you played under was like you know you're buying into it and so forth but then you can finally feel for the end that it's just not working anymore and it's, something just changes and you can't get it back
2: yeah, I mean, it's interesting with, with Duffer because, you know, obviously when he got the job, you know, I actually know some of the people behind the scenes there. But when, when Damien got the job, you know, it a big, it was a big leap to give someone <clears throat> young, obviously a high profile, that that job. But, you know, all the things he was talking about, he had to do, you know, in terms of coaching, managing, getting lads driving them here, driving them there. You know, you, you kind of got to do everything, but that that's the level, that's how it is. Um, baptism of fire for Duffer. but but nonetheless, I think for, for Bielsa, it was um, a case of, you know, and maybe, maybe, you know, it's not always the younger manager that, that does best, but it just looked like, as I say, I think the player lost belief in him. Uh, uh, I think they loved him, but I'm not too sure they were carrying out his instructions with belief that it was going to change, so I think then it's difficult to remain as a manager.
0: Like uh, David, when, when, when you were a teammate of Damien Duff's at international level, like was he one of those players in the dressing room that you always knew was, go- was was kind of headed towards a career in management? That that someone that maybe had those characteristics that that someone who would succeed in the game, or was he maybe a surprise when you saw him heading that direction? Yeah.
2: Well, I think it's great that he's gone straight into, you know, there's been a few of the lads that have gone gone sort of straight in. There's been some that, if you look in the media, there's a lot of ex-Island players who seem to favour the media and less so going into coaching. But the likes of Stephen Reid, you know, Dean Kiley's gone into it, um, you know, So and Damien Duff has obviously been at a few different clubs, you know, Celtic, etc., before coaching lower down to get in the, to get in the role. Did I ever see him being a manager? Well, it's, it's hard to say. I mean, he's very focused, uh, very focused on, on, on being the best that he could be. So anyone like that, you know, a bit like your Wayne Rooney at Derby, you know, you know, they'll give everything as a number one, but it's, it's such a difficult job. You know, it's a really difficult job. And I think um, um, as it's been shown at Shelburne, you know, it's, it's just difficult to, you know, to, To get right, whether I could see any of the lads being managers, it's hard to say because. You know, one thing it's one thing playing; it's another thing knowing if you've got the personality and, and all the attributes needed to be a manager. It's a completely different skill set, and only some of those you can transfer, right? I mean, Damien knew if he was on form, you know, he would be the best player on the pitch, and, and etc. But they don't always transfer to being the best the best manager because a lot of it is is out of your control. What, so um, yeah, what do you put it down to? In turn, I think
1: John Sheridan's the only former Republic of Ireland's international, I think, in the four divisions in England now, who's coaching. Can yeah.
2: uh, you yeah. put that down to David, actually? I know it's, a, do you know what, I've, I've discussed this with my peers, and, you know, John, what, has he gone back to Oldham for the sixth time, yeah. I think. Yeah. And he, and he had, it. look, he had an immediate impact, and I think, actually, John going back to Oldham put a lot of our other managers, like Keith Millen at Carlisle, under a bit of pressure, and then they, they sacked him, because they looked at the impact John had, and thought, well, we need to get someone and they brought Paul Simpson in, and he's done brilliantly out Carlisle. But why haven't there been as many Ireland managers, you know, sorry, Ireland players going into the management? I I don't know. In some ways, I think, are they all bright, intelligent lads? And they (laughs) realise the chance of success is so small. You know, maybe, Mm. maybe, maybe it's that. Or, I don't know, a lack of, of, I don't know, is it a lack of belief that they could be, I don't. I don't know. It's or, so
1: true, though, isn't it? Like, if you look at if Steve Staunton never got into management, he'd have like he'd be so well remembered in Ireland. And like as you say, it's, yeah. most managerial careers not only end in failures, but just are failures. Like,
2: mm. yeah, it's it's it is. It's difficult, and and sometimes I like you know I look at Andy Townsend. I mean, you know, I work a lot of talk sport, and uh, you know we've got Tony Casper. It's full of former Ireland internationals. You know, I know Shay Gibbons dipped in, but then Shay Gibbons Shay's dipped out again, and as Shay got one eye thinking, well, you know, the twenty four seven nature, do I need a break from it? I, I don't know. Stephen Reeves has done that a few times. I mean, um, it, it is a difficult. It's a world that once you've been in it as a player for twenty five years to go straight into it as a coach for another 25 years sometimes is uh, a bit daunting Uh, can I do that?
3: It's interesting actually like you look at the Ireland 2002 World Cup squad say for example like you've Lee Carsley there's someone there who just happens to be the manager of England 21 sides at the moment but like he is the one but it is it is a striking thing now I do think though I think some of the next generation, the, just the next generation down from that one, like the slightly older lad, like you see John O'Shea now sort of making moves that way. Like he's, He was involved at Reading for a while, although, as, as David said, he almost he dipped out of it again too. Uh, you see Paul McShane in that sort of player-coach role in Manchester United. Uh, Gary Dicker, okay, he wasn't an international, but at Brighton. I think there is, like you see Jim Goodwin as well who's making strides in Aberdeen. It does feel like that there is a generation of Irish coaches and managers just... Maybe coming through, but for some reason, that particular generation oh. didn't, you know, didn't necessarily go- dive headlong into it.
2: Yeah, there's Brian Barry Murphy, obviously. Of course, yeah yeah,
3: yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, a, a friend of mine
2: it, 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 uh, just came over from Holland, and he's, you know, he popped in to see me before going up to Man City. His son works at Man City, and he says, you know, Brian's doing very well there. Mm. You know, very well, very well respected behind the scenes, and and the, you know, they they think he's terrific coach. You know, and he did well to be kind of headhunted for that. For that under 23 job you know so yeah there are obviously there are some examples you know paul mcshane is, as you say that sort of older player but just newly retired or whatever you know coaching starting off his coaching but probably not as many as as you'd hope you know kenny cunningham i played with you know obviously sort of dipped in and out and 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 you know is, is settled on the media so there's, there's a lot that have that have done that lee's probably an exception I know Lee, you know, very well, and um, I know actually that the, uh, John McDermott, who, who, who's been a big influence on him, is now technical director of the FA, and it just seemed like Lee was always um, leaning towards having an, a, a smoother route with the English FA rather than the Irish FA for some reason. I, d- I don't know why. You mm-hmm. know, but look, yeah. Keith Andrews, Keith Andrews has done well. You know, um, so there are, there are a, a, a couple of Would I like to see more Ireland internationals in, like, the international scene? You know, if, they, if they're good enough, um, I think it's always good to, to, to have uh, from an international. As long as, obviously, they're, they're good enough, they're qualified, and, and they want to do it, then I, I think it would be great.
3: Yeah, they've tried it a bit the last few years. I mean, John, Walter, yeah. John Walters is helping with the 19s now. I think yeah. David Myler has been helping out. What is it, the 17s? I think it is. So they've tried it the last couple of years. Andy Reid was obviously there for a while as well too. So it's something they have looked at, but it's um, you know they're not necessarily like full-time roles either. It's more you know advisory stuff. And as David yeah. mentions, like, I mean, Lee Carsley several years ago, um, and we would have spoken about it previously with, with Kevin, with Kil- Kilban on, on this show. I mean, I think I think Carsley's name was dropped to the F.E.I. at the time several times, and the F.E.I. at that stage, they weren't really interested in following through in it. Mm. And it doesn't, in hindsight, it doesn't look like uh, doesn't look like great judgment.
1: I, I think as well, Shane. Though it's a numbers game because mm. like it's kind of like the globalization of the Premier League in terms of Irish players, not where they were at twenty years ago, but like. Uh, even in the League of Ireland, if a job comes up now, I mean, like, there's 50 people applying, and a lot of them are very high caliber. Including
3: some ex-internationalists, in, in it's hard to get exactly. work here. Yeah, like, it's, like yeah. so like I think
1: when John Caulfield got the job at Cork City for example um, there were amazingly good names in the hat even then and you, you find this time and time again um, the League of Ireland is a place where a lot of these managers have to go for now mm. and if you're uh, with all due respect to the League of Ireland if you're a player like Damien Duff coming in and Shelburne doesn't work out that well it's a massive black mark on your CV because it's seen as well If and I was watching the game last night I don't know David Like, is this something that uh, is this true or not but like I was just trying to imagine Duffer's kind of um Thought process as some of the players that he's managing now did like some of the basic things that they just either weren't able to do or couldn't do last night. And I, you're, you're kind of thinking of that's the yarn about Roy Keane not being able to maybe deal with that when he was at like Ipswich and so on, that he couldn't take in that these players couldn't do what he did. But like, this is at a level that this is a League of Ireland team who last night in the base of last night could be in the relegation battle. And like, I was wondering, what does Tuffer, how does he deal with that?
2: Yeah, that that is. um you know that is difficult because it's one thing you know when you're when you're um, and he has been coaching, say in the younger age group. It's another thing, obviously, as as the first team manager because ultimately, once once you make that step over, uh, you know it's it's a it's a different pressure, a completely different pressure, and and basically you're, you're suddenly making every decision that has an impact. But what you're getting at is. You know, if you've been a top flag, does it prevent you being a top coach? Well, it, it depends, I think. that That is really dependent because, you know, I don't know if Damon coaches on the grass because, it, you know, Roy, Roy King didn't coach on the grass. You know, Roy King was a manager who oversaw. Like a helicopter, and then he had Tony Lockett,
1: who was his coach. Well, he's he's with or you know? O'Brien dancer. So, like I don't know how. how and I think he does. I think he does. does lot, do, though, I say, think yeah. he does
3: a lot. Yeah. No. I think he does. I think that's. Part, I think with Damien Duff, you sense that the, the the coaching thing is is part of his addiction, really. To some yeah, degree, yeah, you know, yeah. he, he's very much into that. But sorry, Dave, but I know you because I, I I was conscious of the Roy that you'd worked under Roy Keane, and he had a definitely yeah. a different style. You played yeah,
2: he, under he, him he, as well, yeah. did you? <laughs> Yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah, I mean, you know, Roy signed me, but but that's right, yeah. you know, it's it's it, it's it is hard because the, what what the point I'm getting at is there's a reason why you know certain managers don't coach, and that is because at certain clubs there is a lot that you can miss if you're on the grass, uh, uh, you know, uh, focused on a session. Like you can spot things that maybe you wouldn't if, if you were coaching the whole time so there's a real fine but I can understand why some managers don't coach and I can understand why Duffer would coach but by the same token it's, it's all encompassing if you've got small staff to keep on top of everything and uh, I, I imagine you know Damon's got you know in terms of budget budgets etc it's a, a completely other end of the scale um, How does it you, work
1: on the Roy then
2: though? So Roy, in what way? Like, so in, was
1: was he? Did he have any input in terms of like the coaching side of it, or did he? I can't remember who he was. Tony Lockdown? Yeah, no, no, yeah.
2: yeah, no. I mean, he, no, he did, a lot of that would would just be down to his his coaching staff, and Roy would 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 um, you know have an impact on the, what sessions to do, but other than that, he'd be uh, observing a bit like Sir Alex used to do. You know, that was Sir Alex's way. So that's what he. He, he grew up with but you look at you look at lads i'm sure we're going to get onto like your arses and your man united you know michael arteta is 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 a coach he's a field coach you know he's out on the grass um he wants people to be 100 disciplined not late to training arsene benga was a little bit loose like that you know so um just because you worked under certain managers just doesn't mean you're going to be like those managers that's that's what i'm getting at and obviously has had a, a an experience with a lot of managers in his career and Roy was influenced I think a lot by Clough and and Sir Alex Ferguson so that had an impact in terms of how we Managed.
0: Yeah, it's funny that isn't it? even just watching our Ted in the yeah. Side I was there, just like...
3: going to say you're watching our Ted yeah. now, and it's interesting that if you consider that they're in a top four race with Manchester United, and actually now feels I haven't seen too much of Arsenal this season, but I have this week between the Leicester game and Liverpool, and a bit of today, you can see that they're a team that now has a bit of an identity. There's a pattern to how they play. Considering you're watching Manchester United, and you're not really sure. You know what you're, you're looking at a sort of a collection of individuals trying to do things at times. Whereas you see Arsenal, more
1: Guardiola in them, though. Well, I
3: mean, yeah, you, I, don't, I mean, you'd have to assume that working under Pep for yeah. you know a period of time, and then like the as David mentions the Wenger experience as a as a player, like you know I don't know what you make of Arsenal at the moment, David, but does it, it does feel like they've they've turned a the corner a small bit? Yeah,
2: I mean I've I've watched them live a couple of times, and um, you know he's had to make some big calls, and I'm sure we'll we'll discuss it. But say United have got to make some big calls in the summer. Look, Arteta got rid of a lot off the wage bill. Um, you know, he he got rid of players that, he, you know, I did one game at the Emirates working there, and I had to leave in lockdown as soon as I'd finished working, and you know, Aubameyang was was out ahead of me before I'd left in his car. You know, so mm. so basically, he didn't have a shower. I finished the game and obviously not happy, and away he's go. Now the point the point is that I think Mikel Arteta had to do some major work to get the the, the players that he wanted. who who he was happy with. And, And rightly or wrongly, he's made those decisions and he's got a young, hungry group who are talented, make no mistake, got pace at the back. They've got pace at the back, but I don't think United have in central areas. So he's had to spend a little bit, but he's also got rid of a lot of the wage bill, made some tough calls, big personalities at the dressing room. And um, he's got some very talented players. You know, Odegaard is very talented. Saka, superb. So they've got, they've got some, they've got a nice mixture at the minute. And, um, and Arteta, you know, he's one of those, he micromanages by the looks of it, a bit like Pep. He sort of kind of kicks every ball on the sideline, doesn't he?
0: Yeah, Saka just been awarded man of the match as well uh, into stoppage time here at Villa, Villa Park 93 minutes uh, so 3 minutes of 4 out of time played <laughs> Aston Villa nil Arsenal 1 I feel like
3: we're going to say they turn the corner they're going to concede in around yeah, 30 seconds well. here because Villa are putting on a little bit of pressure Big time. getting a few crosses into the box
0: Just one of the texts in here from uh, from CJ 53106 by the way if you want to get in touch with myself and the lads managers from the Republic of Ireland as opposed to the likes of Mick McCarthy or Martin O'Neill have been with very few exceptions spectacular failures in the English game namely one single manager born in the 20th six counties who has had a successful career as a manager since David O'Leary
2: well um, Chris Hewton wasn't
3: wasn't born here. um, uh, born it's a
0: very crude like sort of um, cut
3: off point point, particularly for like you know sort of Irish in England if you know what I mean Um, yeah
2: but I think Chris I mean if you're talking about okay that would be very I think that's going to be a very small pool anyway but Mm. if you talk if you talk about other Irish managers I think Chris has been one of them that. And certainly, he's done, you know he's had success. He like,
0: has had success. Like David, I know you've done your your, your way for pro license yourself, and you've got that um, management diploma with the LMA. Like, is that do you have designs on on getting further involved in in coaching management yourself, or is that just something that you kind of do when you're retired to have it in the, you know under your belt?
2: Well, I, look, I, I did it when I was still playing, but I think it's good. To, it's good to do, but um, if you have designs, and I, I did initially, but I just think it's a, it's a very, it is a difficult. So I, I have a lot of respect for the for these, you know, the likes of that Duffer going into it, and you know Lee Carsley going into it. But Damien Duff's different to Lee because Lee didn't want the the first team environment, whereas Damien does you know? Mm. So, um, I hope it, it, it's a challenge for him, don't make, but I do hope it, I hope it works out. But, you know, some, some lads like Lee, even when he got the, the, the caretaker role at Brentford, didn't really want it, you know, didn't want it. So like the text in, you know, there's probably a dearth of whether they're, you know, come through Ireland or born in England or whatever, you know, there has probably been a, a
3: dearth of, of Irish managers for whatever reason. But I think it's probably a it's, a it's a spin-off though. I mean, there is some English managers in the Premier League at the moment, but clearly like there's a there's a there's a drip down effect of that. Like mm. you see in, in recent like see Graham Cochland would have been involved in the lower leagues in recent years, see Alan Sheehan is on the coaching staff at Luton, like his first team coach. Mm. Um but it's it's hard as well. Like the sort of the opportunities are fewer and then yeah like the lower down you go, the more sort of cutthroat it is. Like that's that whole stat about like three quarters of Managers don't get a second job like Joe Dunn would have had an opportunity as well. Um, at Colchester, there's been a couple, but it's almost like you need to go in at a lower level and be an incredible success, you know, yeah. when your hands might be tied to some degree, you know, and to actually sort of spin some longevity out of it. You know, it is as I said, I feel like in the coming years, there will be ones that will get opportunities for whatever reason. Like, there's you know, there is players from sort of north of the border, like you even see, like, Kieran McKenna getting his chance at. At, at a Ipswich now, like you know, and Brendan Rodgers has met as met inroads, and I don't know. It feels like there's a lot of sort of there's an element of luck with it too. Um, but it's an interesting point that the listener raises and stuff. And. Um, you know, it's, sometimes you'll have, say, young managers here who are quite ambitious, who, would, who, who I think have put themselves in the hat for jobs in the UK, and there's literally hundreds of applicants. Like, you know, the MK Don's job last year, we ended up appointing the guy from, who came from Belgium, wasn't it? Um, Lee Manning. Lee Manning, yeah. sorry, yeah. yeah. But I mean, from what I gather, like, the, 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 if you saw the entry list or the applicant list for some of these jobs, I mean, there'd be really high profile people that don't even get an interview sometimes. Yeah, so, you know, yeah. it's really difficult. Yeah. Yeah.
2: Well, but, but there is the, there is the other thing that some high pro, high profile managers could go in for jobs and, and say, look, don't worry about the money. Yeah, you know, because they'd be they'd have earned. Whereas some other managers, you know, uh, would would need the money, you know, and mm. and and the higher profile coach or manager might might get more bums on seats and stuff, you know, and and the money's less of a factor. Whereas you know, when you've uh, <clears throat> You know, for, but whereas for some other coaches or managers, that is obviously important as well as everything else. You know? Isn't
1: that isn't that absolutely insane? The point to make, though, so you're you're basically a three to one chance to get another job. Like if you you take this job and basically there's a seventy five percent chance you're not going to get another job. And it's like why why would you risk that in terms of your legacy? And it's it's quite binary as well. Was he a success? Was he a failure? When I mean, there's a lot of luck involved. There are a lot of nuances involved. Um, things might change in terms of a lot of bad luck with management. Or whatever, are with players, and then you get boards who, like, I mean, are extremely trigger happy in terms of, like, even you look at Bowes at the moment, people are almost calling for a Keith Long's head right now, and I'm just thinking, like, sorry, what? Like, and I don't know, there's a lot of madness involved in in, in terms of, like, but Stephen Bradley's in his sixth year, and that's considered really long, even in Ireland.
3: But look, yeah, but the, the championship attritional rate is mm. mad, and that's why, like, you, and I think it's an interesting point David mentions as well that like there's a generation of players like the t- the top players now or even not even necessarily top players now guys who've had a good career in the championship in the last maybe 10 years like they've made a lot of money from the game you would think you know and I know it's not life doesn't always run as uh, sort of plain as, as easy as that but there has to be a degree like you know like the likes of Gerrard and Lampard and people like this I mean they're not doing it for the money I mean I'm sure they're negotiating good contracts but like there is a sense of those people who want to stay in it like there has to be a real hunger and desire and you have to be like but they're also probably conscious of their reputation too and that first job is is so important like you look at some like Robbie Keane for example who has been a number two in various places and I'm sure he must have had opportunities along the way to dip in somewhere I know he's on the books of the FAI at the moment and that's a contentious subject in itself but like, but, it, but it is but like that first job for him is, is big you know because there's almost once you dip into it Everything you've done as a player, I'm not well, saying, he's, he's I'm not saying also, it fades, but like he's also coloured by, by like.
1: Stephen Kenny. Like, it's clearly out there that Stephen Kenny didn't want him on his team. Well, I don't so. think it's anti- I, I, th- I don't th- it's, it's like, well, why does Stephen Kenny not want him on his team? So I don't Robbie think that, that was to- a
3: big drama. I think the, a manager was entitled to pick his own staff. Like, mm. you know, I I don't, I, don't, I don't, to be fair, I don't think there's any re- that's any reflection on Robbie, really, you know, but I think, I think it's more a case of like Jonathan Woodgate wanted Robbie to be on his team, mm. you know, he like he brought him somewhere, but it's a case of, I think, for someone like Robbie, who clearly it's not. Going to be for financial reasons, he goes into the game. It's a desire to stay involved and and to you know his you know his motivation to be a manager, which I gather it, that it exists. But mm. it's so you have to be so careful with the choice of that first gig. You know it really does because all of a sudden you join a long list that are sort of cast aside if it doesn't yeah, necessarily it click. Yeah, to John O'Shea
0: about that when he was on. Yeah, know? it's yeah. funny like and this is a very random um, way of describing it, but like I was reading Matthew McConaughey's book quite recently, the actor, and like he was talking about the fact that he was known for these rom-com movies and decided one day, I want to win an Oscar. I want to be a ser- an actor taken seriously and not just do these how to lose a guy in 10 days type films. And he just stopped answering the phone, stopped picking up the phone, mm-hmm. and took years and eventually got a, got a role uh, that that led me d- down the line of serious acting. And it's it's almost like managers as well. Like, I think I've only got a soul sharp, pops to my mind straight away. You almost, David, need, if you've had a, a tough enough time, especially a tough enough finish at a certain club, you need to nearly... Put, uh, stop answering the phone and, and just write out the the year or two whatever it takes in order to be taken seriously as a, as a candidate again nearly
2: yeah possibly I mean the, the other I can see this from both both sides really because if you've been a top player say like Roy he could have what 10 years out the game or 8 years out the game and then still be offered a first team job which is quite incredible right mm. I mean but that was the impact he had there now I'm sure you know everyone wants to be well remunerated, or you know their worth I'm sure he was shocked probably at what was offered as a manager I assume and it's very difficult to have you know to then to then accept the job maybe when you've got the security of a of a punditry role you know Uh, Mm. uh, probably for a lot lot more so in terms of right if I'm going to be a a manager if Robbie wants to be a manager the, the best thing he'll get back is is to sever his ties with the FAI and 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 get back in the game, rather than you know being on the hook sort of thing for with the FAI for I don't know how long he's got left on his deal. I don't it's know. The summer it's long. up
3: in the summer, so it do, at, oh, le- think, at least at least yeah. it's finally over, you know, and there's yeah, some sort of yeah. degree of closure on it then.
2: Yeah, but you look at some managers, you know, and the best thing they can do get your entrance right and your exit. That's what they say, you know. Mm. Um, so on that contract, <clears throat> the exit has to be right because then, you know, Robbie can be moving on and getting on if he wants to get back into. There's no way Robbie should be, you know, playing at Soccer Aid or whatever when he's on the staff of Ireland. It'd be best if for everyone if that was, if if the the contract everything was was done and dusted. And and but it's not his fault, you know. It's not his fault. And as you say, Stephen's entitled to to utilise the men that he wants. Um, but yeah, it's, it, it's, it's an interesting topic, certainly.
0: Just when you, when you talk about Roy Keane there, uh, David, and, and like, did, you, did you find when, when Roy signed you for, for Sunderland, did you, did you feel there was a difference in Roy Keane, the, the teammate and the player with, with the national team, and then no. Roy Keane the manager?
2: No. <laughs> no, because you, you know why? Because otherwise it would be you know, disingenuous if he was suddenly someone completely different. You know, you can understand, but he wasn't someone necessarily who would be, you know, uh, uh, friendly, happy-go-lucky. One minute as a player, and then different as a manager. He he was just the same person, which you respect, right? So you you know, you 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 know that. Um, So I have played with other people that have gone on to be uh, who are maybe teammates, gone on to be managers, etc. But I think, I think for Roy, he's a. You know, I still think he has definitely got something to offer as a manager. Um, but you know, the game moves on so quick. You know, you, you, you're out of the game. If I don't go and watch a League One game in, in England, or if I don't watch a Championship game for a couple of weeks, you know, it moves on. How's Benny doing? Or how's other? If we're going to talk about him, but you know, did I see his goal last week? You know, you you miss stuff even in a week or two weeks. Mm. It's not as easy to. To suddenly be out in the game for so long, if uh, to, and to get back in it and know the level, you know, you've got a, you've got to know the level, you, you really do. Yeah, it's got to be way way simpler back
1: in the day when managers could get like, and you know, there wasn't anywhere near as much analysis, data, blah blah blah, um, you know, and players could get away with stuff like that, you know, it's 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 difficult for Ikey now because he's, with every passing day, he's more of a pundit than a football manager, you know, and um.
2: But look at Mark Hughes, right? Look at Mark Hughes yeah. going in at Bradford. Here's another example. Well, mm. is that a surprise he's dropped to to there, or is Bradford, you know, is it is it close? Is it, you know, is he is Mark Hughes bored? Well, I, I think some managers, like you
1: know? some managers, definitely, definitely, definitely have like. Uh, and I remember having this conversation with a, a another intercounty manager, but Brian Cody. Um, and I was like, "Sure, Brian will know when the time is up." I made this kind of throwaway point, or somebody's like, "No, that's hurling is all basically that." Brian Cody's hurling, and hurling. and and why would Mickey Hart take the loud job? Like I could never get my head around that. And I think some of these people they're totally obsessed. Oh,
3: that's- Mick McCarthy! Like, what's the mm. longest yeah. Mick McCarthy's been out of like work? Six months. I'd say them. like this stint at the moment is up there mm. with one of his longest stints. You know, and even someone like Steve Bruce, who, and again, like he got you know abuse at Newcastle, and it's funny. I look like Roy Keane did that interview with Gary Neville on the overlap about people who always get jobs, and mm. clearly Bruce, <coughs> as you know, is, is always you know. He's an attractive candidate for clubs because the amount of jobs that he gets. And, Bruce and but there's, an degree, time, there's an agree like, of an like, addiction this could there. could was my last result. job,
1: and it clearly wasn't like, so yeah. like. do you know what I mean? Like,
3: yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I think I think that the, the Marquis one is, is was fascinating though because I can't think of too many examples where someone pops up again in sort of Bradford. League Two. Like you know, did yeah. someone like you know in recent years? How many Premier League managers went down and managed in League Two? Like maybe Phil Brown or someone like that. I can't think of too many others hmm. off the top of my head who he sort of met that hmm. who made that journey.
0: Yeah. It's funny the the managerial merry-go-round for sure. I have to take a, a quick ad break, but uh, just to bring you up the speed, we'll we'll continue talking. Uh, David Connolly, Dan McDonald, Johnny Ward there you're, the voices you're listening to and watching as well on the stream, uh, YouTube.com forward slash off the ball of uh, Facebook and Twitter as well. If you wanna if you wanna watch our beautiful faces as well as listen to us, uh, loads still to, to get through. Stephen Kenny's Republic of Ireland squad for one, and, and uh, I guess the absentees being the the, the subject uh, more so than the inclusions. Uh, Michael Obafemi and, and Aaron Connolly uh, two to mention. We'll we'll talk a bit of the Champions League as well. Maybe Manchester. United and uh, all the action during the week, Marcus Rashford in a bit of a tiff with, with a fan outside Old Trafford uh, as well, and we'll talk players, uh, I guess, reacting to, to some of that fan abuse, um, but uh, it has gone full-time as well, I should mention, at uh, Villa Park with the, the full-time score from Aston Villa and Arsenal, it's uh, Tom Ross. Aston Villa nil, Arsenal one, three points to the Gunners, courtesy of a first-half strike from Bukayo Saka. And they dominated that opening 45 with some wonderful passing moves. They created opportunities for Partey and uh, also for Smith robert They didn't take them late on. Watkins had an effort that was brought in right at the death in stoppage time. Uh, the keeper Leno had to make a wonderful save to keep the scores at uh, 1-0 to Arsenal. But overall, Arsenal deserved it and are on course for that Champions League place. Aston Villa nil, Arsenal one. Yeah, big result for uh, Arsenal. Miguel Arteta, that one... Uh, this afternoon Mike Bikio uh, Saka given man of the match he's speaking in, on television there at the moment uh, big big result for them big day for the Irish rugby team as well of course 4.45 Ireland against Scotland at the Viva Stadium and uh, we'll have uh, all the updates on that later on Ashling O'Reilly and Fiona Hayes are at the Viva for us and Brent Pope will join myself in studio from 4 o'clock onwards uh, kick off as I said quarter to 5 and then 8 o'clock France's clash with England so Ireland if they are to beat Scotland and secure that triple crown we'll hope England can beat France and uh, that would hand a 6 Nations Championship to Ireland as well I should mention Munster have suffered a comeback defeat at the at, at the Emirates Lions in the United Rugby Championship Munster had led by 21 points to 10 in South Africa thanks to tries from Finian Witcherly, Witcherly and Josh Witcherly and John Ryan but then the Lions rallied 13 points without reply to run out, run out 23-21 winners uh, so disappointment for Munster there Celtic can go six points clear at the top of the Scottish Premiership by beating Ross County at Parkhead later uh, Chelsea assessing the bids made by potential new owners of course uh, on the pitch they face Middlesbrough in the FA Cup quarterfinals this evening that's at the Riverside from a quarter past five Uh, Throne will be hoping to ease their relegation worries in Division 1 of the Allianz National Football League as well that's this evening they say just above the drop zone of course and welcome second place Mayo to Oma for a quarter to six throw in Leash hosting Limerick at Amour Park in Division 3 from 7pm but uh, between now and 4 o'clock as I said OTB Football Saturday plenty to still get into with David Connolly Dan McDonnell and Johnny Ward join us after this Yes, you're very welcome along and welcome back to uh, OTB Football Saturday. Shane Handling with you through until 7pm this evening. An extended show, of course, with the Six Nations. Uh, myself filling in for John Duggan this evening and loads still to get through uh, plenty between now and 7 o'clock. We've got, of course, uh, Brent Pope in studio, as I said, just after 4 o'clock. Fiona Hayes as well at the Viva Stadium for that Ireland-Scotland game we're currently watching here. Wales have just scored a try against Italy. Wales 5, Italy 6. Uh, 28 minutes played there in Cardiff in that game. Uh, but it is OTB Football Saturday. Saturday, as I mentioned already and uh, brought to you by Sky. Don't miss Spurs versus West Ham on Super Sunday live only on Sky Sports. We've got David Connolly, the former Irish international striker on the line with us and in studio it's Johnny Ward and Dan McDonnell alongside me. Um, David, we, sh- we should mention the Champions League midweek and-, and look, disappointing night for Manchester United fans against Atletico Madrid. Um, plenty of um, shithousery I think you're, it's fair to say from the Atletico players <laughs> but probably nothing uh, that we haven't seen. Um like Marcus Rashford's reaction, uh, I don't know if you've seen this video clip, but he was filmed leaving Old Trafford and uh, different fans shouting um, abuse at the, Marcus Rashford's direction, and Rashford kind of took the bait and and seemed to respond in some in some fashion. He's not having the best of times on the pitch, but can it be tough as a professional footballer to to sometimes always ignore ignore the abuse you're getting when you when you when you hear it and you're clearly within earshot?
2: Yeah, I mean, I, I saw nothing in that video to be honest. Mm. Uh, I, I think it's much ado, much ado about nothing. Um, I couldn't hear what was being said, but, but, you know, I think just recently that it's been publicized that someone who abused Marcus in the summer, I think he's just been found guilty. So um, he's, he's a player has, who has taken um, some abuse, a bit like Bukayo Saka, etc. after the summer. Um, I, I saw, I didn't see a lot in that video. I mean, I don't, uh, I think you're really splitting hairs here if you're if you're trying to say Marcus has done anything you know that maybe he, he shouldn't have done. I, I, I don't know. I just um, he's going for a bit of a tough time as United are, you know. Um, but I think you know the, the punters can can come and they can. I think they' if they want to say whatever they say, they, they they can you know they can say that. But you know you just got kind of got to turn the other cheek and. And walk away, but uh, I think he, he momentarily turned around, but I didn't see any aggression or mm. I I think he could say anything really about what Marcus did. I doubt we would have gone much further. I know he was not restrained, but I know he's just held back a little bit, but but I, uh, you know I think United players are used to coming out and it being like that. There's always a load of fans who've, who 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 were there to greet their you know to greet their side good times and, and bad, and you, you as a player, you've got to take the good with the bad, right? But I don't think his reaction was anything to really write home about, to be honest.
1: There are a lot of like a lot of sad people out there who before the internet basically existed in their own world and you know their own struggles and now they have a vehicle to like have a go at my Marcus Rashford or whatever on online. But it's more what interests me is more the um the crowd like watching the game the other night. You can tell he and Maguire are definitely not flavor of the month to the Man United fans. But I think, you know, as a fan you kind of I don't think that's helping at all. I think Ratchet is not in a good place at the moment. I think his confidence is completely shot. And fans getting on your back, I just don't see how that helps at all. I don't know if you ever in, had a stint like that, David, where you felt that way.
2: Yeah, oh yeah, I mean, absolutely. But I think, you know, Marcus is has kind of, um, you know, he's come out of the firing line, you know, so to speak, elanga's you know, come in and, and had a had a really good impact for United, you've got to say. And I, I guess... Um you, you know, Elanga might be what Rafford was when he initially broke in, right? And then since then, there's just so much that happens that, that maybe takes away from your effectiveness at a player. I mean, I read about Dan James, you know, when he left United and he said, what got me to United was being fearless and, and, and attacking and taking my man on. And I ended up playing safe. And and I think Rashford has come out of the team maybe for his lack of I know lack of confidence, lack of directness. And Langer's come in and he's been that. And I think for for Marcus he needs to try and get back to that, which is the challenge for him. And in the end, you know the fans are going to direct their their fire at, at someone. But I think you just good and bad. You kind of got to take it right because I think I know you say it doesn't help, but I, I think players are, are used. You, you understand it goes with the territory good and bad
0: it's, it's it's mad like even just reading Marcus Rashford he obviously felt the need to, to post a statement on, on, on his Twitter about the "Quote unquote incident uh, after that, that game midweek. He said, a video compared paint a thousand words and in this case lead to inaccurate info being shared in social media. Guys, for weeks I've been heckled, threatened, questioned and last night my emotion got the better of me. I'm a human being. Reading and hearing that stuff about yourself every day, it wears you down. No one is more critical of my performance than me. He goes on to say later in the statement, I want to clarify two things. The first being what I actually said to the man throwing abuse at me, which, come over here and say it to my face, a fact security can back up. And secondly, the fact I used my forefinger to direct the fan to come over and at to my face, I did not gesture with my middle finger. I'm not entitled. This isn't ego. I'm upset and disappointed. And at that moment, it was silly, but I was being human. Uh, fair play for speaking out. But but I don't like, think,
3: there's nothing particularly wrong with it. I don't think would have he handled himself. No. And that's there. Why at is least, he reading about uh, himself
1: though? Well, this, well it, I know, this, you know why is he say, reading? You
3: say like? that Johnny, though. But I mean, it's easy to like. What's to be gained? Like, Well, nothing's to be gained, but I mean, what's to be gained from any... And this was like someone who confronted him directly as opposed to necessarily, um, you know, This this is a bit different to like a social media thing. But you say that, like, it's not as if these footballers some of them are like living these wild lifestyles where they're sort of out they're on their phone like this this is what they do it's a reflection of what a lot of people their age do and I actually think I mean you have so much respect in a way for the likes of a different club but the likes of Henderson and Milner and people who've managed to like in this era, they've managed to sort of keep going all the way through, in particular, someone like Milner. Mm. He's been there all the way from what age sort of 15, 16, making his debut for Leeds. But he enjoys and, the boring James uh, Well, I know, it yeah. but, it's, <laughs> but it's clearly, well, to be clear, that's not actually him, right? <laughs> <laughs> but, like, but just, just you know, there's a certain mental strength and toughness that at times in his career, I'm sure, like, he wouldn't have been a, a flavour of the month in certain places. And he's, and I just think it takes incredible sort of fortitude to be able to, to keep him that even keel. And I think Rashford is only human and I, I honestly think like if people come and have a go at someone outside and once it doesn't obviously spill over like if someone responds I don't particularly have a mad issue with it you know coming over and saying, well what's your issue and, and, and actually you know there's, there's 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 obviously grades of it like if you do it in a stadium in front of a couple of thousand people you're inciting something yeah. but if someone approaches you outside and <laughs> you try to engage them in a discussion you know you give it and you take it a bit I mean maybe, maybe the, I do know you'd be advised not to do it by anyone and to be clear I'm not suggesting he should just go out and start start tackling people who heckle everywhere he goes but I don't know I thought there was nothing really in the whole thing you know
0: like there's the other end of it David as well in that you see players coming out and releasing statements about everything and anything like David De Gea coming out the other night I'm just reading his statement like we didn't do enough over the two games but this is on us blah 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 this like the usual statements, apologising, saying we will go again, you know, this is Man United, blah, blah, blah. Like, what do you make of footballers now feeling yeah. the need to kind of explain defeats constantly every week with with, with social media tweets and, and posts yeah. on Instagram?
2: I mean, look, you go back to, I don't know, when did Cantonar jump in the Palace crowd, whenever that was? The glory days. Yeah. So you talk about the grades of, you know, what Mark, I think. Unfortunately for Marcus, you know, he's, he's become a bit of a um, political figure for a spell as well in, in England, you know, with the food and school children and children and, 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 and he's done brilliantly. What that does then, it just opens up that avenue for people to attack him if he's perceived to be taking his eye off his football. So it's really unfortunate that you'd want his form to kind of keep up so that that doesn't happen. You know, and and look, he's not partying, he's not in nightclubs or anything like that, but obviously he's he's spent a bit of time focusing on on maybe other other things to try and improve lives for many other people rather than just himself. But you've then got say Jesse Lingard who whenever he scores he does his his celebration that is about his sort of trademark or his of you know. <laughs> so there's a fine balance between doing stuff on social media and being out there and, and, and trying to have the numbers on your, you know, social media for this or for whatever reason, and then balancing that with not being able to take any criticism. And look, I took a lot of criticism when I, was, when I was playing. And I kind of, I think at times it's unfortunate, you know, but it's part for the course, whether it's from the media, Newspapers, journalists, shows like this, punt um, fans—you kind of you, you accept it, but and you accept it because you know you're playing football, and and you you know that you've you've done so well to be able to play football. You you accept that it's part and parcel of it, you know. So I think in there somewhere, I guess, is a middle ground that you, that you have to find, and I don't think Marcus or too many other players, getting back to your point, should be making that many statements on social media certainly about every i mean if you go back 10 20 years i mean be, people you can't apologize you know incessantly for yeah for all your failings in every regard i mean I, I don't know there has to be a line where you just as you say don't read it but the thing is if you don't read it then you're not on social media you're not looking at your your clicks or your followers etc so there's where does it? You know, where do you draw the line?
0: You know. Yeah, absolutely. Some some good things to pick up on there. Uh, we should also touch on uh, after the news, Stephen Kenny's squad, uh, the omission of uh, Michael Obafemi. Uh, of course, Obafemi asking himself to be to be omitted for for fitness reasons. It seems to be. Uh, I mean, Festi Abacelli, There's some good uh, uh, a move to. Serie A appears uh, very very close uh, which is another interesting move from an Irish player's perspective and uh, loads else to get in uh, to get into between now and 4 o'clock so we're at the slightly earlier time today of 2-4 to four for OTB Football Saturday David Connolly Dan McDonnell and Johnny Ward of course then beyond 4 o'clock we'll have uh, all the rugby coverage and build up Brent Pope in studio with myself and Fiona Hayes at the Vivis Stadium it's currently Wales 7 Italy 12 after 38 minutes we're back with OTB Football Saturday after this Hey everybody, welcome back to Off the Ball Saturday here on News Talk Shane handling with you through until 7pm Another four hours left of our six-hour sport uh, this afternoon. Uh, Brought to you by Sky. Don't miss El Clásico. Real Madrid versus Barcelona tomorrow. Live only on La Liga TV. And we've got David Conley on the line. We've got Dan McDonnell and Johnny Ward in studio. And that's just while we're on El Clásico and and, uh, matters in Spain. Uh, Fairly big story and probably something that's going to be utilised by different teams in financial difficulty. But uh, Camp Nou, of course, we know of Barcelona's financial struggles being rebranded and renamed the Spotify Camp Nou. So, uh, a fairly big, uh, iconic soccer stadium, rebranded as part of this sponsorship agreement. It gives them the naming rights. Spotify's name will also appear on the jerseys of both the men's and women's team for Barcelona for the next four seasons. Uh, it comes in the same week as well as we've heard of the, the I guess rumours that Old Trafford could be demolished and replaced with a, with a brand new stadium but uh, as unlikely as that might be to happen but David it brings up an interesting conversation about football fans and their I guess the loyalty they hold to old stadiums but when you see places like Tottenham Hotspur Stadium you can understand why teams uh, Manchester United included will want to rebrand and kind of improve their facilities because when you, when you see water dripping down from the roof and uh, paint, paint <laughs> yeah. stripping off the walls of Old Trafford it's not a good look
2: no, and uh, and um, obviously the money that that's gone out of the football club with nothing improved upon is, I think, is a really good point. I mean that that image of the the rain leaking through the roof is, um, I guess, etched etched in our memory of old Trafford. So. Um, you know, look, for some clubs, a new stadium hasn't always meant uh, success. Uh, West Ham now, obviously, are flying, but it took a long time, you know, for the, for the fans to accept that football club. Um, but nonetheless, uh, you know, at this minute with a, with a really good manager, you know, it, the stadium's kind of sort of taking a back, a back seat, really. So, you know, the atmosphere the other night against the field was superb. Arsenal... You know, I was at the last, I played in the last game at Highbury for Wigan um, and, and before they moved to the Emirates. But, you know, they found it difficult to, to get success. So, um, But certainly it does, it, it does seem like a, a new stadium or an improvement, I guess, of some stadiums. It, it does help. And training grounds. You know, we've got to touch on training grounds because often training grounds are the first thing that players see. And um, you know, Leicester have got a terrific training ground now, spent an awful lot of money on it. Um, I believe even United could do with a bit of, I, I think if you look at some other sides you know, Chelsea's training, they've got a fantastic training ground. You know, the Etihad campus, you know, I think certainly for United, a bit more being spent on the infrastructure is needed training ground and obviously the stadium. But you know, the fans go there what once every three weeks, probably on average over over a whole season or once a month. So, you know, stadiums are not used that often, but for players to attract and keep the players, you know, you, you've got to have a good training ground.
1: I think that the fan experience, Shane, um, like, I think, I haven't been in the stadium, but just from the, the acoustics of it on TV, the Tottenham Stadium, they definitely seem to have gotten that right. Yeah. Like, it seems to be, um, there seems to be great atmosphere there. And I don't think this should be underplayed because, um if you go to If you go to a sporting event And I'm thinking of the ones That really stru- struck me and Maybe it's me now and Maybe that's my kind of way Of being a football fan Or whatever But when you go to an event Like Dan and I Have been to say Legia Warsaw at Dundalk And even thinking back At Carabag against Dundalk There's only 6,000 mm-hmm. people at it Like the atmosphere makes such a difference and if you go to I've been to Premier League games and I like the the most unmemorable experiences and it's just I know it's day trippers but part of it is the stadium as well and if every new stadium is the same um, and it's kind of like well, that's grand, but like you know, the, I don't. It didn't exactly move me. The hairs weren't standing at the back of my neck. So I think when if Old Trafford is, by all accounts, Old Trafford is not the most um, atmospheric place at all. If they do build a new stadium, I think it's important to get it right that it's an experience to go there and that there, you can make some noise because um, if football isn't like going to the the theatre or going to the cinema, like it should be something that really moves you. Yeah. Um, and it was funny at the game last night in Talca.
3: The theatre can move people as well, Johnny. to be It fair. can, but not not in the kind I of. I just think that, I can just not think in a, before the people in the start I actually it.
1: I actually watched a Beckett play recently. I was, I felt very um very very cultured. But uh, <laughs> at the Tolka game last night, I saw some kind of like um, tourists, effectively, and. Uh, I think some were referencing on the PA, and I was just like, "Yeah, they they would not be making much of this experience." There was no atmosphere at all, really, at the game, and I was contrasting that to like the games have been at this season where Shells have been playing like Pat's great atmosphere of the game. Other games have been at, but last night you have a small away support, a muted home crowd in a really decrepit stadium, and I don't think they'd have a 10 out of 10 experience. I
3: think the broader point though is, I mean, naming rights is such a mm. potential. It's a lucrative area. I mean, in Irish football, I mean the Aviva thing is is precious you know in terms of like even the fbi were in bad times you know trying to try and, try and get an advance done on the aviva and rights and get someone to cash in uh, and it's striking that barcelona have gone that way and more so the broader point there is explaining how Barca maybe financially um, I mean they've had their issues in recent years that have been very well documented and they have to go down that road now I can't imagine still there's going to be too many people in Barcelona saying they're looking forward to heading down to the Spotify later <laughs> on you know like the Camp Nou is, is like that's going to remain um, and that's just the, the way it is but there's obviously there's that trade-off between tradition
0: Didn't we versus, say that about the Point Depot? though we all said we're not going to call it the three arena but now we I take too.
3: that point and maybe a nice you know, pun there there's 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 <laughs> there's there's yeah some sponsorship deals like exist in a different way don't like you refer to the Emirates and stuff but like
1: the Aviva is uh, a disgrace and you're as guilty as everyone else like it's, it still lands down road and you're calling <laughs> it after an insurance company
3: I, I think I think when it's when the stadium has been knocked and rebuilt if you're looking at the same camera angle and position yeah. and the same backdrop then it's very hard to imagine referring to it in another way whereas I think when it's done up it's It has a certain... It's easy for that to sort of to slip into the lingo, you know, to slip into. If the Viva language. doesn't
1: renew its sponsor, was oh, it a ten-year deal or something?
3: Well, they've, yeah, they've renewed it again. i imagine. If they hadn't, re- yeah, then
1: it's like, well, oh yeah, oh God, I missed uh, Viva. I mean, you know, this is an insurance company. Like, they're just they just have name and
3: rights. For I know, TV. but you're listen. You're working in the horse racing world where you watch a racing pundit and like the, the length of the sentences to get through all the sponsors. and we're looking forward <laughs> to the Brown Advisory Chase this mm. week. And you know, do you, re- there do, is you that. do you refer to races as the Hennessy? they aren't uh, to Hennessy yeah, anymore yeah. yeah so I mean like it, it does it does exist to some to yeah. some degree um, but I think like you see Chelsea at the moment I mean the, the situation with Chelsea and um, isn't one of the concerns is that Stamford Bridge really isn't the cash generator compared to maybe what uh, the Spurs stadium can be and the, like the, when they had the Abramovich the, that sort of empty the sort of the blank checks he could almost you know that he could write there um, it wasn't so much in issue whereas now you actually look at Chelsea's potential and the stadium comes into it so I can understand for, for Manchester United for such a sort of commercially driven organisation ultimately how all of a sudden um, this becomes a bit of a quandary for them mm. um, because that's they're, they're very much a bottom line club at the moment maybe almost to a fault you know
0: yeah like the atmosphere thing that, that you brought up Johnny is, is, is fascinating because like I've been to that Tottenham Hotspur Stadium now albeit for, for an NFL London match it wasn't a football game but just the a cracking match day experience and, and like am I right in saying you were in the San Siro at a, at a game before? Yeah I've been San Siro a good you? few times yeah um, and I don't know like it's it, when I'm thinking back as a
1: kid like when I when I went to games that uh, like there might only be 3,000 people there in Terryland for example but like just if the noise is, is in that stand and like the Galatasaray game I was at was a friendly <laughs> and I was like I, I was absolutely amazed by it and it I can't remember much about the game but I can remember a hell of a lot about the noise <laughs> and like I know Dan Legia Warsaw oh, was, Legia was that stunning. was just like
3: amazing but I'm just thinking like David even you mentioned you're playing the last game at Highbury which is actually amazing really mm. when you think of it like you watch the premier league years now or whatever and and it brings you back or in your case like it very literally brings you back to a pitch you were on when you when people talk to you about venues you played in which are the ones that spring to mind like is it the more sort of old school venues that naturally pop into your head or some of the newer ones you would have played in towards the end
2: yeah i mean i, I think it's a good point on this because you know some clubs um you know for example final stadium was was fantastic but the fans weren't particularly close because they had a, a, a ditch around it basically to stop them running on it you know yeah. but nonetheless uh, and they had fencing and everything but you know the atmosphere created was was exceptional you know you talk about the San Siro I mean I played it at the uh, Stadio del that against Juventus for final and that had zero atmosphere. Mm. <laughs> it was a million miles away from, from the pitch, you know, the pitch to the stand. So obviously when they knocked it down, they made it as close as possible to the pitch. And, you know, the club was transformed. What's interesting in England, you know, a few clubs, your Brentford's of this world. They haven't, when they've gone for a new stadium, because it's only a few miles away from me here, when they've gone for a new stadium they haven't gone for a thirty thousand stadium or something that's too big they've gone for something that they feel they will fill mm. no matter what division they're in you know and I think it's sensible monetary management on their part you know because you look at some mK Don springs to mind a thirty thousand seat or whatever it is and it's basically a third fall, mm. you know, and, and the losses that a lot of clubs make on, on these is one thing a building, building a stadium, but it's another thing, you know, filling it. And that, that, that's going to, that's going to be hard. It's am right talking about United and, and this, because, you know, they're, they're, they're the kind of few and far between, but I was at Brighton the other night. I'll give an example. Brighton, there were so many empty seats, right? Do you know how many times Brighton have played at three o'clock on a Saturday this season? I think it's two
1: yeah it's 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 pathetic <laughs> like it is it it's really crazy is yeah
2: it's crazy on you know, boxing day they kicked off i was at the game eight o'clock at night they kicked off boxing day they had no way of getting there you know the, 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 so look that um within within all that they've got a lovely shiny stadium but you know it, the, the games and everyone at three o'clock so you know it's uh the, it's, that's it, a major issue as well yeah the,
1: the, the coventry yeah. um the coventry one like i have a lot of cousins in coventry and um yeah. for a good friend from my race sports days patrick mccann and we been to a couple of games there and it's so depressing like because oh man so like i I forget exactly what happened in terms of the ownership but it's i think it's owned by is it wasps now it's owned by yeah yeah and um like as we're driving out to the ground he'll say oh yeah that's where highfield road was and it's like that's bang in the middle of the town and you i remember highfield road from tv and you go to a game then and fair enough coventry haven't had a great time with the last few years but um Oh, it's just soulless around, loads of roundabouts and you see like the Wasp insignia and you, you, you feel like, and I know Shamrock Rovers will have horrible nightmares about what happened to Milltown but when the club lets go of its grounds and then it moves out yeah. to somewhere like, I just think it's really sad.
2: Well, that's the interesting but the point on that is obviously wasps ended up bigger than Coventry, would mm. you believe it? And and even Brentford, you know, London Irish player Brentford. Mm. So they've got the rugby markings on a Premier League pitch, which is which is quite incredible, you know, but obviously they struck that deal before Brentford got promoted, I believe. So, um, yeah, it's, it's a fine, it is a fine balance because you look in the MLS, MLS are building new stadiums, you know, and they, they, they built one in Charlotte the other day. And, uh, you know from not having no football club they broke me. The, I think it's the second highest attendance in the world mm. 74,000 so uh, yeah it's a fine line it's a fine line between the right size stadium and filling it
3: certainly Yeah, MLS is incredible I mean it's a complete tangent but mm. what they did in Atlanta like they built yeah. that stadium in Atlanta and they actually I, I used to watch a fair bit don't watch as much of it now but like you know because the, the games would be on sort of midnight around Sky with before these, you became a father pretty much like, yeah that's late, late it. night late yeah. Hell, yeah. <laughs> I now watch well to be honest I now watch the A-League in the mornings <laughs> want anything on sort of Melbourne and Central Coast and all this, but I mean, the, uh, the, the whole point is, I mean, the, the quality of the venues. But I mean, Atlanta, how did manage to seed it in such a way that they created a fan base? Out mm-hmm. of nothing, mm-hmm. and I think there was they ended up having the uh, the former Barcelona match, manager, wasn't it, um, Tito Martino, wasn't right. it there? But like they, they create a club and they have like looks like a terrific atmosphere, you know, and like. America is mad now. 50, are, yeah, it's like, just extraordinary. But yeah. like, remember, Paddy Barrett who plays for St. Pat's now, he was in Cincinnati, mm-hmm. and again, similar. Some mm-hmm. the attendances they were getting in the like the U S L even before they stepped up were like Mm. amazing. You know, but it's but but I suppose as you said when you some ways they did they didn't have an old traditional the Dell or Highfield Road, or something that that it yeah. didn't remind them of.
0: Yeah, you know? I guess even football stadiums that have uh, poor atmospheres traditionally, you need those rivalries. We know the, the age-old probably Atlanta what, Miami rivalries. <laughs> I don't know what the, yeah. the rivalry <laughs> down there would be, but like, we're hey, talking...
2: you, you, you made, sorry to cut in there, but you mentioned um, Alan Sheehan earlier. Yeah, I was, Luton, I was at Luton last week, right? And obviously Kenilworth Road. Look how Luton are doing, and and that small. Stadium, which I know they're going to get a new one, but that certainly helps them when they're playing at home. And I looked over at Al because he had to climb on about 50 foot of scaffolding to watch the game from above. Obviously, told by Nathan Jones, right? You go above, right up on the scaffolding, and you watch the game from up there and report back to me. It was classic. You had to had to walk up about five ladders. You know how, how it was probably probably uh the health and safety probably had a word after, but it's great though, isn't it,
1: David? Like it's it's, great. Yeah. The
2: atmosphere there is great. So, you know, if they left there, would they lose some of that appeal or have they got to make the money to take him to the next you know whatever the I next I think Luton is
3: incredible yeah. I, I see that they've already they're already 0 this afternoon yeah. away <laughs> against Hull they're fourth mm. as it stands That's in amazing. the championship table yeah. having dropped out of the football league yeah. a couple of years ago Aidan O'Hara will be delighted Well, but like there's Alan Sheehan there Alan McCormick is there there's a few others I think Glenn Ray as well and, and like but I was there a couple of years back doing a piece with James Collins and I was out at the training ground and like it's not like it's not the facilities are are modest. Yeah. You know, I was I've never been to the, the ground, unfortunately, but there is that balance. Like I'm sure that that, that intimidation factor or whatever it is, there's something unique about yeah. going there. It's it's worth X amount of points per season, mm. you know. But they want to get to. That. I think there was a big dispute in, in Luton as well too. I think to do with the council or something. I don't know what what the situation was there as regards the stadium. It was held up for years, but it's a bit of a tangent. But it's actually a great story.
1: I do I do imagine though a lot lot of like l- older fans in England probably did kind of they, they it's like pining for the old communist days, but this actually is true in that like if you are an Arsenal fan, I'm sure you pine for Highbury. If you're a Southampton fan, I'm sure you pine for St. Mary's. If you're even for a Man City fan, I'm sure you pine for Main Road because it's it's not nostalgic to say it's just not the same. It's just mm-hmm. not that noise and that you know, you have so many day trippers going to games as well now and all the stadia are the same and people are sitting down. I think safe standing is something they have to get right as well, Shane. Yeah. Like they have to have terraces at grounds like, if you're sitting down, like you're spectating. If you're standing up, you're a participant. That's that's the way I look at it, anyway. And like I, I'm. Um, that is one thing I love about the League of Ireland. It's <laughs> the the the, the stadia are so bad. Like uh, we're still stuck in in the in, in we're still stuck in time, basically. Oh, we're well going back in time. Yeah, we we yeah. want better stadia but like yeah, I actually I, I, st- I actually it's still it's enjoy going to talk last night. Wow. Like the, it's the worst. Like the, the view in Talka Park in the press area is the worst I've ever seen at any game. But I I don't know. I still kind of see love
3: you them. just like the drudgery. That's I'll why. That's yeah, why. Yeah. why I, I love to, the drogery. that's why I don't go to the theatre that often. Yeah. I, I should mention I went to
1: Beckett so that was yeah, yeah. France, I yeah. should
3: mention Peter Coyoso as well from Swords. Was play, starting for Luton today. Glen Ray has gone out on loan. Actually, Coyoso is um, I think he's a wing back, um, and he's starting today. So he's going sort to of slipped under the radar. Uh, but as the Luton story generally is uh, is a pretty oh, good,
0: one. fascinating. You mentioned the day trippers there, Johnny. Uh, Johnny, it's an interesting point. Like, text in here lived in Barcelona for f- for ten years. Was at numerous games in Camp Nou and zero atmosphere every time, despite ninety plus. I think Michael Robinson said it's full of old ladies with fur coats. Only two games had atmosphere, and neither had Barça. Ninety-nine Champions League final, and Brazil played a World Cup warm-up game against the Catalan national selection. Best atmosphere ever had no end by the Brazilian attendance. That's a problem, I guess. Those super clubs are going to have anyway. You're yeah. going to have day trippers uh, in for, for the day, like. Yeah, I think
1: I think JD might have been slightly exaggerating when he said they've they've nothing else in Newcastle when he was on about the football team. But there is an element of like, I mean, it's like you know when if you watch games in Monaco, or you go to places where people are wealthy or They're just so accustomed to success. It just gets a bit boring after a while. So whereas if you go to a game in, um, say, like, for example, Istanbul or whatever, where football Belgrade, is... Belgrade. Belgrade. Like, where... Especially where... If there's an element of people who are like downtrodden or are suffering a normal life and football means that much to them, it's a it's a, it's a it's it's an abstract experience. Whereas like I I would have no um, inclination whatsoever to go to a Real Madrid game or Barcelona. It wouldn't interest me in the slightest. And I was supposed to be in Cheltenham last week and I ended up getting COVID. But like when I was looking at the fixtures, I started at League Two and I wanted to go for the most kind of like earthy experience I could get. And I settled on <laughs> there's um, like
3: a personality test to be done around. Yeah, this. Oh, but there is. Oh, it's Real like well, man, the, yeah.
1: the, You know it's a, the, the journeyman Has a lot to, has an interesting story Compared to the lad Who won everything I find But I, I settled on The county grounds Because when I started To get into the Premier League Swindon had that one season Where they were in The Premier League And I remember Like the county grounds Was absolutely great atmosphere In those days And they obviously got relegated But Swindon were playing at
0: home And they're now in the fourth tier And they're trying to get promoted um, Then I got COVID anyway yes, Someone texted in 53106 I can simply say The showgrounds Has a better atmosphere Than Old Trafford Too many tourists Sitting back with the attitude Come on impress me it's as if they're at the cinema," says Anthony in Sligo. Like Dan mentioned, the Dell not long ago. I know uh, David, your Southampton days. I think they moved from the Dell in '01, maybe. So you, you were uh, it, it was yeah. long gone by the time you arrived. But I know P- Portsmouth was your your club straight after Southampton. Like did you did you manage to play in any of those South Coast derbies? Like was that a derby with any atmosphere?
2: No, I didn't. But you know, if you're if you're if you're a final and you play Ajax, it, you know, you've you've got a couple of hundred fans there. You know, but nonetheless, the the atmosphere is great. A bit like Newcastle, the way in, you know, you, you have a couple of hundred fans. That that is about it. And in some ways, you know, that's for a player. You like that. You enjoy that going into the sort of the den uh, like like that. Um, but yeah, I think I think some clubs, you know certainly Southampton, I wouldn't say the fans are as vocal as a, as a Portsmouth, you know, just in terms of the stadium, but you know, the, 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 the atmosphere generated at Portsmouth, because again, you're so close to the pitch. However, you know, that's a a stadium that like has needed repairs for a long time. They're finally happening, but they're kind of needed it because look, when, when Harry was in charge, I read that, you know, the club never had a training ground and rather than buy a training ground, even then they went and bought a player, you know, so, um, it, it, it's, uh, and in the end, that's how Portsmouth ended up in so much trouble because you know, no money was invested in the infrastructure. I know we talked about United, but you know, at the other end of the scale, say Portsmouth, nothing was spent on the training ground and the club facilities. <clears throat> it was all about, you know, having a team that can compete. Uh, so you know, and then eventually, obviously, when things go wrong, you, you don't have a training ground, you've got nowhere to train. we were training in school. The stadium seen better days. But I guess you ask of well, I don't know, it's difficult when they were, you know, winning and doing well, winning FA Cups, but then obviously a, a bit of a trail of destruction left left afterwards, you know?
0: I should mention some of the, the live scores uh, just uh, Six Nations Wales 7 Italy 12 46 minutes played at a Cardiff and that one of course Repub- Ireland uh, taking on Scotland from 4.45 that's the Aviva Stadium Brent Pope will be in studio with me Fiona Hayes on the line uh, from the Aviva uh, some of the results from earlier in the championship Derby County 1 Coventry City 1 Festi Aviceli who we'll talk about shortly uh, came off the bench for Derby after an hour in that game uh, and Sheffield United 2 Barnsley nil uh, was a result uh, of course John Egan and Callum Robin or uh, Conor Harwin sorry uh, lining out for Sheffield United in that game uh, plenty of other Irish interest in the games ongoing across the championship as well Bristol City and West Brom nil-nil. Huddersfield Town trailing Bournemouth by a goal to nil. it's Hull nil. Luton 1 as we mentioned there uh, Reading and Blackburn Rovers scoreless after 22 minutes Stoke 1 Millwall nil, and it's goalless between Swansea and Birmingham City uh, lads I do want to touch on Stephen Kenny's squad uh, for these upcoming games against Belgium and Lithuania um, and really interesting press conference even with, with Jim Crawford the under 21 boss during the week where he uh, essentially pre-empted Um, Obafemi not being in his squad he says via his agent he sees himself as a senior Republic of Ireland International so wasn't included in that under 21 squad Uh, and then of course Stephen Kenny uh, named his squad neither Michael Obafemi nor Aaron Connolly included Uh, Obafemi he's in Really, really, really good form at club level at the minute for Swansea. a uh, bit of a strange one this. Like I don't know what you lads make of the Abafemi yeah. exclusion for, for one.
1: I I think on form, he definitely merits being in the team. He's playing really well for Swansea. He seems to have a manager who believes him. He's explosively quick and but he's shown a like and I haven't I've seen one full game of him and I've seen highlights. He's shown aspects of his game um, in terms of passing around the box and that there's no way no way no way whatsoever on merit. He shouldn't be in the Ireland squad but I'm sorry like um, his reputation isn't necessarily that great in terms of his attitude and if you're called up to the under 21s you bloody well go to the under 21s yeah. and if you want score goals to the under 21s and prove that you're good enough um, and I think I, I think Aidan Aiden Fitzmars might have written about this in the Indo today and I didn't read the piece but he the, the headline was basically like this is a dilemma for Kenny and it is a tough one now because yes he should be there on merit but you need to kind of have standards as well mm-hmm. and um, I think he, he needs to have you can't have bad apples in your squad and for me uh, in racing terminology, he has. There's an asterisk against Ombafemi now because we had Jim Crawford on our podcast recently, where he spoke about Troy Parrott and. I think Troy's trajectory has kind of been a little bit up and down in in the sense of he was amazing for the 21s got called into the Ireland squad obviously didn't play particularly well against Azerbaijan has had to go back to the third tier to get his uh, career up and running in the league and that hasn't been smooth necessarily either but by all accounts he's more than happy to come straight back into the 21s and Obafemi through his agent saying that I'm better than this for me it's not good it's not a good sign about his attitude um, and I I agree with him he should be in the squad I don't agree with the way he said I'm not going to do this because I'm better than that so yeah, I think there's a squiggle against well
3: him. I think yes yeah, a squiggle is a, is a racing reference course isn't it Johnny <laughs> it, it's,
1: it's when you have a horse that's basically very talented but you can't really trust him because he's, he's a bit ungenuine or whatever and I, I, don't, I don't like that attitude at all
3: well I think listen I wasn't at the, the press conference yesterday I normally would be but I just wasn't but um, it does appear that Obafemi like he was offered a call up to this squad and he has suggested I think Stephen Kenny was trying to play down the under 21 discussion a yeah. bit but did suggest that Obafemi he'd spoken to him this week he does want to play um, but that because of his recent record of games which is which is sort of um, until the last couple of months he he really hadn't had a sequence of games that he he that Swansea want to sort of look after him and look after his hamstring in particular Um, i don't know it's a strange one though like their their relationship kenny and obafemi that is it hasn't always been plain sailing even when kenny had the, the front four in the in the Ireland squad on uh, 21 squad of Parrott and Eden. He was Conway. fourth. He was fourth. Mm. And uh, then when Kenny got the job at first, I remember that it, because Kenny was playing a, a different system at the time with sort of a you know one striker through the middle. There was a sense that Obafemi didn't fit into his plans because of maybe how Kenny why, what what role did he slot into? Then Obafemi of course had that tweet which he deleted as well after Kenny named his first squad, which you know create a little bit of a story that Kenny could have done without at that stage so it hasn't been plain sailing and and I would say Obafemi I mean I don't know him at all Um, but he is one player that at various times his respective managers have sort of made comments in the media that are slightly unusual the type of stuff that you'd expect to be said in house more so about you know discipline and various things so it's clear maybe there's been the odd concern around him now as as you mentioned Johnny and as, as has been mentioned I think by Stephen Kenny with Russell Martin and Swansea there seems to be a good relationship and a belief and so you have to take it on trust that what's been said yesterday is a genuine reflection of where it stands and that come the summer, there would be no excuse for Omifabi not to be in the squad. Because I do know um, last week, uh, I was at the, the, the Kenny New Contract press conference and he was asked about Obafemi in the, the session afterwards where we were brought in for a little bit of a, a tactical uh, analysis session. And there was a sense even people around the FBI were you know, were saying, yeah, like Femi's in a good place, you know he's he's uh, he's very much in his thoughts, and yet he wasn't in the squad ultimately. So I think it's maybe a little bit more back in the player just to to answer a call in the summer if it comes, which I presume it will, you know, because on form as Johnny says, I mean, he's definitely in there. I think the Connolly one is interesting as well because it seems like it's a heel injury, but um, Ireland's fortunes in the autumn did take a little bit of an upturn when Kenny uh, maybe made the decision to to, to drop Connolly, mm. um, and I, I think. Uh, I think that there would have been a feeling and maybe I don't think that would have been too unpopular a call at that stage. And maybe there's a sense that I don't know it does Connolly have a little bit of work to do. I get there seems to be an injury issue, but I still think um, I don't know. If he, I think he, I feel like if he was going to be a first choice player for Ireland at the moment, I feel like he might be in that squad. I could be wrong. Well, with the,
1: that. the really bizarre thing is like we've loads of options at goalkeeper and centre back and so forth, and we're laden. So, but but Kenny for whatever reason. Has two players who are right now in very good form or good form in the championship in terms of scoring goals.
0: Neither is in the squad, and it is a bizarre state of affairs. But mm. like you can kind of see why. Like and David, just to get uh, I guess gets a bit of context on this one. So neither Conley or Abafemi in this squad. Abafemi says he's fit, wants but wants to ease the workload and his fragile hamstrings. And Conley, as Dan mentioned, has the heel injury. Uh, although Conley has been playing at club level, but not training apparently with Middlesbrough. Stephen Kenny here is clearly taking them both by their words, not bringing him into the, into the camp. He did say in the press conference during the week that potentially are harming their chances of getting into the uh, Nations League squad campaigns in, in in June by not linking up at least linking up with the squad. Um like what do you make of this one David it's 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 strange to turn down an under 21 call up for one.
2: Yeah, I mean I was I was I, was, I think this is um I've I've been in a similar situation so I can understand I can see things from all angles here because there's some things that we may know and some things that obviously we don't know. Now if Stephen hasn't spoken to to Michael, I would be thinking as as Ireland's manager, as you've said, we've got a dearth of options up front. I mean, Scott Hogan has barely played. Um, you go through this, the striker list. You know, Troy. You wouldn't say is is, is hit the ground running at, at MK Dons. However, I think Michael Obafemi has a certain ego about himself, and I think so does Aaron. They're both from Premier League clubs. <clears throat> that might carry a, a, a slight confidence. Um, I think both managers of those Premier League clubs feel that they are not maybe quite ready to play in their first team, but maybe the players think they're ready to play in that first team, their first teams. I don't think Aaron is at, at Brighton. I've seen Aaron at Brighton on the bench a few times and he just he needed to get away, he looked disinterested at mm. times, even when he was asked to warm up you know when you sit in the media you're right behind the Brighton bench you know and I know some of the Brighton players I played with them and I, and I talked to them so I think Aaron needed to get away and Aaron needs to focus on his football like Michael Michael pulled his hamstring Lot like, you can get injuries let's just hope he's living right let's hope he's he's been as professional as he can you know, not just at Swansea, but in even when he's not playing at Southampton, looking after himself. Because I think both managers, R- uh, Raph Benitez and Graham Potter, are two of the best in the Premier League, mm. and we've got two players there who could play for Ireland. What you don't want to do is blow it with your man perceived man management skills, which can ultimately could dissuade over Femi, No matter what you think of his attitude, we don't know that yet exactly. Apart from I've heard similar things. You know, so look. Did he talk to him before naming the squad? I don't think so. Is it a case of, well, there you go, you're not in it. Go and play in the 21s. Um, you might look at what's in the senior squad and go, well, how are they in it and I and I'm not. However, you know, um, I can see it from from both ways because at times the communication in my day it was, you know, not very well communicated. If you were, you weren't in it. There wasn't that much dialogue. I don't know how it is these days. And um, I think with the dearth of options, I'm hoping Stephen is, is is using all his man management skills, even those that he might not think. You know, I, I think the likes of Obafemi have got a lot to give, to be honest, for Ireland. And we wouldn't want to lose him to somewhere else. And I think Aaron has as well, as long as he, he plays regularly. Because I think he's one of those that could he could drift if he just ends up in and out. He's been in and out of the team at Middlesbrough as well. He, he, he hasn't settled down as well as Femi, of
3: late. I think that's I'd a share, very good yeah, point. Yeah, no, I'd share those concerns about Connolly. I would say Kenny did say clearly he did talk to Obafemi this week. I mean, if, if it ever transpired that wasn't the case, that would be a strange thing to say. You know, I think he did say that there was a discussion with Omar Femi, and that's, you know, because he faced questions, I think, about his allegiance. And Kenny said, well, from the discussion he had with Omar Femi this week, he has no fears about his commitment to Ireland. So there was... I mean there was correspondence there I know Jamie McGrath was another player who wasn't in the squad um, and Kenny said he'd spoken to him so I I do think from the communication point of view I, I would hope that things are better now in terms of whether it's Stephen Kenny or Keith Andrews or I know Stephen Rice is going to a lot of games I think they're generally quite good at keeping in touch with players and they need to be for the reasons David says because we're not exactly sort of stacked with options so you can't afford to sort of, uh, you know, burn bridges by being casual about it. I, I don't think that's something that would happen at the moment. Well, if, if,
1: if, we, if you look at Man United, the dressing room as well, like, um, and you compare it, you look at like Seamus Coleman and Duffy and the characters in the Ireland dressing room, I think there's a solid base of people there that will keep things in check if anyone has been an idiot or messed around. But there's no doubt this is a challenge for Kenny in terms of, like, he and Jim Crawford are given slightly conflicting kind of versions of what's going on. And like, I, I think Jim Crawford is this, a really really good guy and I think Kenny's the same but at the same time they have to manage their media performances because they don't want to piss off Obafemi who's obviously apt to put out a tweet and then delete it with an emoji or whatever but like if you look at say Connolly's performance against Portugal when Pepe was roasted for, by much of the much tonight, and even Ida played well and you think of like Obafemi's pace which is another level altogether if you've pace that that he has he's a massive massive asset so Kenny now has to kind of keep him on side but at the same time Time, um, reflect on the fact that other people have shown a better attitude to this, and uh, this will be a challenge for him. It's, you know, I think Dan wrote about this that his his handling of the Aaron Connolly situation didn't necessarily um, wasn't necessarily like consistent with how some other players maybe thought Connolly was being given well, a slightly. Think, think, well, he well, wanted to man manage his way out of a crisis with Connolly. Well, I think yeah. and it didn't really work, like because no. Connolly. It just at that time, I'm not sure Anthony could have saved Connolly from
3: the form he was in. I, I think it was becoming a problem for him, yeah. his loyalty to Connolly. Like the Jean game was obviously but then at the half the but I would say is at the half time in the Jean game, he was hooked that and was he, and, he, and he hasn't been seen with a pitch it, yeah. for Ireland since he was brought in October and didn't play. And this is my point. I could be completely wrong. I think I think if Connolly was first choice, as I said, I'd expect him to be involved for these two games. Mm. And I think I think Kenny's big on having a settled squad now. I mean this is his big thing. He wants a settled squad because there was so much coming and going in that first sort of year. And I, I just wonder to what extent Connolly maybe I thought he'd be in the squad and I know there's maybe this heel mm. injury but well, maybe, well, maybe he's decided I'm going to go with okay I know Ida's injured but I'm going to go with sort of this Ogbené Robinson uh, Paris sort of Ida mm. when he's available I, as a sort of a front four um, rotation with one or like, two others you know? Well,
1: I, I think that was the low point of, of his reign it wasn't the Luxembourg game which was played in front of nobody the three the, the, they got the team wrong against Azerbaijan. Azar- yeah, he yeah. simply got and in the second half as much as we eked out a draw like we weren't playing good football at all and that was and that was on the back of obviously a great performance three days earlier or whatever for me that was um, that was the low point of Kenny's reign and maybe at half time that was that could have been something of a turning point in terms of right we're going to be um, you know quite ruthless there but I thought the the one with um Jamie McGrath was interesting as well because I know Jamie's struggling but he's been very good for Ireland and that was it was an interesting what he's
3: sending out a message there to McGrath if you're not playing like yeah yeah. Um, yeah so the
2: other thing I'd say on, on Aaron sorry to, to, to cut in is he's gone from a he's gone from one type of coach to another Graham Potter avoids conflict mm. and he's gone to Chris Wilder who I wouldn't say seeks it, but he has got no problem confronting it. That's really good. I think this is—it's going to be a really good challenge. This for Aaron, how he navigates his way through being part of Chris Wilder's team, because Chris takes no prisoners. I know some of his coaching staff. I've seen him work closely. He will—he will make changes after forty-five minutes, and the players will have to get on with it. And—and if you're stropping, he will have no time for you. So how? How he how he navigates this is going to be really interesting, Aaron. Because Christian Wilder is very well respected, and for his forthrightness as well and his honesty. And I think if Aaron comes out, he can come out of this two ways. He can come out with this, you know, with, with a glowing rapport, or he can come out with this with, you know a lot of work still
1: to do and and sorry briefly as well the Femi thing like Swansea's style of football is so good mm. and it's so much passing, and passing, and passing and, um, I've watched them a bit because like Ryan Manning is playing left the the centre yeah. back um, but <laughs> like, I, was, I was like how does Ryan Manning end up playing effectively centre back for any team and he's saying well so I, I, I looked at them a bit and like Oberfemi will if, if, if he will thrive under that system and I think Kenny will look on that very favourably because he probably has visions of Ireland playing a bit like the way Swansea do but um, if Femi could absolutely love his football there and I think Russell Martin is very
0: well regarded in terms of his philosophy as well Uh, just before we let you go David and we'll get Johnny and Dan's uh, thoughts on this as well after the ad break but um Festi Abasseli um come on after an hour for Derby County this afternoon and he's been getting a lot of game time clearly uh, Wayne Rooney is is a big fan of his um and it seems now uh, imminent that he's heading off to to Serie A from experience seems to be Udinese maybe that that he's heading to um like for yourself David you were i, I think the same age as, as Festi 19 or 20 when you when when you went off to uh, to Feyenoord like what what's what's that like and what will Festi gain from from playing in a, in, in a foreign deme- or foreign league
2: I tell you what, there's. Uh, I read this and and uh, it made me laugh. There's three certainties in life: death, taxes, and a transfer between Watford and Udinese. <laughs> now, like, but without, but, you know, I looked at his agent, you know, and his agent uh, has a lot of players, not necessarily from the Premier League. It would not surprise me whatsoever because th- these two clubs have had something like 50 transfers between them, 50 right <laughs> and and it would not so, you know if he ended up at Watford in a season or two you know then you, you've heard it here first and I think <laughs> uh, look it might be a way to circumvent I don't know whether there would be due compensation what uh, what did I, Watford have to pay for him I, I, I'm not quite sure in, in, but anyway I think um, whether this is a move with long-term aims of Vudanese in mind or to get him back into the English game via an experience there, we'll have to wait and see. I mean, but when I left for final I mean, we just played in final Stadium for Ireland against Holland. And, you know, it, it just happened by chance. It wasn't anything that was long term planned or anything like that and it was, was much simpler in the,
1: those days david was like oh yeah. he played well assign him <laughs> yeah
2: exactly and uh i i guess that, that was a bit of a you know but anyway i was young and i wasn't quite ready for the level um
1: you had a cracker but, of a game that night hadn't you actually i I'm, I'm just kind of going back into my memory here it was like uh you you were one of our standouts
2: Well, but look, the level was was very, very high. And at that time, I wasn't... And look, when I left, they won the UEFA Cup. They're a good team and they're in the Champions League. But look, Mm. nonetheless, it it is a big leap to go from a similar standard that Ebesole is going to do now. And you just wonder, you know, if there's other reasons for that you know but we'll have to wait and see
0: yeah it looks like it's going to be a pre-contract agreement in the, in the coming days for, for Festi Abacelli. uh of course out of contract with with derby county at the end of the season uh david been great uh, chatting to you and uh, great having your company for this afternoon thanks a million for joining us Cheers, lad's Take care. Chris, that's David Connolly there, the former Irish international striker. Lads, we'll get your thoughts on on Festi's move and a few other League of Ireland talking points just after this outbreak. This is OTB Football Saturday. We're on air now with Off the Ball Saturday until uh, 7 p.m. this evening, because of course we have the rugby. Currently, Wales 14, Italy 15, uh, with uh, just under 20 minutes to play there in Cardiff. This is one of their
1: chances Like they, they missed, did um, a simple two on one for a try that before uh, Wales scored a try. But this, I don't know when they last won a Six Nations game. This is a chance. I mean, they've I've kind
0: of been half watching here and they've. Been Unbelievably Italy Could be a disaster for Wales if this result uh, mm-hmm. stays the same. Uh, really, really poor Six Nations for the holders. It has to be said. Um, but uh, Ireland, of course, to come at 4:45 p.m. against the Scots at the Aviva Stadium. Triple crown on the line will be the first time we'd have won silverware at home since 2004. So hopefully England can then do us a favor later on as the
1: boy, well. The boy, the boy, taken hes taking a penalty here from his own half, and I'm fairly sure he scored against Ireland from a similar range. And um, so this will put them that would be a feast Four up, which would be amazing. Um, the boy I love it when Johnny Does rugby <laughs> I t- love t- it w- when
3: Johnny Goes soccer Saturday On the rugby Thirty-one like uh, uh, Going uh, to Merce Merce is that Cardiff here What's yeah. going
0: on We might as well Wait for the kick We might you know? as well wait yeah. for the kick. So It's like, like it. the day I saw Rory Began Kick a 70 metre uh, Ball over the bar In Croke Park I believe it Just a beast of a kick That is a huge kick oh, he's, man, He's put it right and wide He, uh, he most certainly he made the distance by, He like, most certainly oh, Had the distance So wide though That's a boot But yeah Rory Began could have been He could have like been An NFL player too with that Probably The quality of his kicking yeah, yeah. the kicking is insane for some of them footballers now but uh, we'll get, we'll keep in touch of uh, that football and uh, a few more topics to get through with the lads with Johnny and Dan in studio with myself stay with us right welcome back to Off the Ball Saturday here on Newstalk Shane Hannan with you through until 7pm this evening uh, we're with Football Saturday just up until 4 o'clock 66 minutes on the watch Wales 14 Italy 15 in the Six Nations the Italians putting up a serious serious fight here uh, to come away with points in the Six Nations Ireland of course underway at 4.45 against Scotland we mentioned Johnny earlier it was at uh, Shelburne nil, Finharps 3 last night at Talca Park. The other results, by the way, from the League of Ireland last night. Shamrock Rovers 2, Sligo Rovers 2 at Tallis Stadium. Derry City, and what a start to the season they've had so far. Uh, the Ryan McBride Brandywell last night, 2-1 winners over St. Pat's. Drogheda United won Dundalk nil in the uh, televised game, of course, in the Louth Derby. A rare enough uh, Derby win for Drogheda. And uh, UCD and Bowles playing at a one all draw at uh, the UCD Bowl. But, Dan, a tweet from yourself last night kind of caught my eye, and it was an interesting one because... Uh, Drogheda Dundalk was the was the televised game uh, on on RT last night, and I, I I know hindsight's a great thing. Probably Shamrock Rovers Sligo Rovers would have been a better pick, but um, as you were pointing out in your tweet, Dan, venue selection is is crucial for these tele- televised games in order to to increase the League of Ireland awareness, <laughs> isn't it?
3: Yeah, something about the idle mind. Like I, I would generally be at a game. I was I very rarely like for all of the debate at the moment about League of Ireland on TV like I'd be at a match every Friday. So I did actually have the TV experience last night and just try and watch it and imagine sort of what's this like as a showcase. And uh, again, I sort of did make the point at half time in the game that I didn't feel it looked great. Like there's like 15 games per year. Um, shown. It's obviously a contentious point about the T V deal at the moment. Mm-hmm. You know, if there's a game every week, I feel RT and I can understand it probably feel like they have to go around the grounds a bit. Um and I can sort of respect that point of view. Um and like you know the Drada the dock has allowed Derby. You know, it's a decent game. By all accounts there was a great atmosphere there in the ground last night, a great win for Drada. Um, and I think, you know, people are sort of responding to a message put out at half time in the game and suggesting it was sort of like uh, trying to take away from the win. I mean, at the, at the time it was a draw, you know, there was nothing really happening on the A bit of banter with the draw to chairman I see on Twitter. Well, yeah, some would call it banter, you know.
0: Finn Harp's got involved as well, um, he's, he's he? always
3: a short odds-on bet to get involved. But, like, it's it's, like, to me, you know, you have to be rootless sometimes with this, and there's obviously split opinions on it. Uh, I'm not saying you just like you you take clubs off the TV, um, but I think if you only have a limited number of games per year, I think the game selection, the venue selection, I think it has to be right to put it in the best possible light. I mean, that that ground, and there's, there's plenty of other grounds in the same boat, and, and of course you're going to offend the club that you mention at that given time, and there's a sensitivity about it, you understand it because it's their club and they're like they're ca- you know cash strapped for a reason. and they've been trying to get out of that ground for ages you know the ground effectively owned by the FAI there's complications there. like they're trying to get to uh, they have been for like the last two decades almost been trying to get out of there Um, and as a result for me I think you know should these should these venues be selected for live tv games is it part of the lobbying point where you're going to sort of local politicians and councillors and saying this we can't get our games on tv because people don't say it looks well enough you know we somehow you have to like bring these debates on to some degree you have to apply some kind of standard and criteria um, and I think that involves making unpopular decisions um, that maybe wouldn't be seen as very collegiate. And maybe some people are bound by sort of disbelief of, well, you know, you, you have to think of, the, to give everyone, you know, give everyone their spin. I'm not sure that's the case when you have a TV deal that's like really limited and you have a small number of games to pick. You have a situation where like Rovers and Bowes last Friday, you know, it was a 7,500 sellout in a modern stadium, that looks good on TV, and that's not, you know, selected on the TV wrote it. Uh, I don't think that's right personally, myself. Um, and I just, I don't know, I was a bit underwhelmed by the whole thing. You're sort of watching it, like there's a man at the match presentation. There isn't even someone from the sponsors there to present it. It's just the FBI press officer throwing it out there. And I'm thinking as a TV spectacle, as a TV product, if I'm, if I'm constantly banging on to people about we need to really support this league and get behind it and you know there's a lot of good stuff in it, I wouldn't necessarily have been asking them to sit down last night and say that there's alternative attractions, there's stuff in other channels um, that looks great, that's presented great, that, that you know looks very, um, it's easy to tap into. I spoke earlier about the A-League and the MLS. I've watched a lot of games, a lot of football, where the level of football isn't great, but the presentation Makes it look better than it is. Uh, I just think it's something that we need to think about in this league. And I know um, it's not trying to pick out and have a go at people at particular clubs because they're all doing their best. But I do think there's a discussion that should be had around
0: it. Mm. Only got about 90 seconds here, Johnny, but it, it brings up an interesting point. Like the, I know Stephen O'Donnell kind of spoke about the the uh, lack of pitch facilities in some certain grounds. ground, was, was, ground was yeah. Like, yeah. It brings up a wider conversation, doesn't it? Like it does yeah I, I
1: don't really agree with Dan on this I, I see where he's come from but like the loud derby for me um, is a bit of a spectacle uh, Drogheda won the game and I watched it back today it wasn't that bad of a game the ground is a kip but so is Daily Mount so is Oriel. like so anyway like I, I, can, I can see where he's come from but I'd more like to talk about Derry City like um ironically they're playing in a, on a very good 4G surface at the moment as much as I don't like AstroTurf but like the quality of the goals last night Will Patching Gravosti's goal for Dundalk was off St. the St. Pats, charts St. for St. Pats was off the charts and like um the start they've made to the season they've gotten really late winners against Pats and Shamrock Rovers which mm. could be vital despite the fact Patrick McElhinney has barely played Matty Smith has barely played and Michael Duffy's played like um, basically 20 minutes and he's now out for like three months or something um, so there's a real momentum building there and interestingly enough I'm looking at Bows Bows have had a really poor start yeah. their next two games I think are against Derry and Sligo um, so uh, like I'd say Damien Duff has a lot to think about today so has Keith Long Shamrock Rovers haven't really gotten going yet and uh, Derry City for me I know Dan kind of tipped them up to start the season, but they definitely do look like tipped ha- up to win the league. Sort, of, sort of as contenders, they're definitely contenders. Next best, and um, I think they they play Bo soon, which will be sold out in Daily Mount. But uh, there's some real quality at the moment, and Will Patching. Like what a footballer! I have to mm-hmm. say he's he's just uh, turned it on for Derry City. And um, yeah, if you get a chance, look at the goals on YouTube. Uh, came up uh, this morning, and uh, they've made an unbelievable start. Obviously, the base story is Galway United are
0: 13 from 15 Division One, but we'll get to. Well, that we're, we're out of time. time for that, Johnny. He <laughs> <laughs> had to get that in. You had to get that in. Uh, yeah, just look at the table. Derry City 14 points, uh, six games played. Well, look like, at Dundalk start. Like Dundalk yeah. have, won, one, have won one game. One game, like, you know, five and draws. If, and like I would have said going
1: into, I would have said last uh, Monday, Geez, Dundalk are doing well. They played. Really good against Rovers I think they lost to
3: Drogheda who, but that's know. just been reactive to one result though. yeah but thing. it's
0: it's not a, it's 8 points from 7 it's not a good start yeah so Derry 2 points clear of Sligo Sligo at the same amount of games played as them uh, St. Pat's also with Sligo on 12 points but of course if a game extra played uh, than Derry and Sligo they've played 7 Shamrock Rovers then on 11 points a point behind St. Pat's in 4th uh, and yeah as you mentioned some really good fixtures coming I, up April yeah, 1st is the, is the next round yeah
1: it, Like and, and, and uh, break now, I yeah. should just yeah. mention as well briefly talking to Cork City fan he was just like purring about how well they're organised under Colin Healy who's not spoken about that much but they're absolutely flying it they've had two massive wins and the first division uh,
0: is going to be a three horse race between Galway, Waterford and Cork and it's going to be really compelling as well Yeah, really good stuff Lads, Dan McDonald, Johnny Ward been an absolute pleasure thanks a lot for coming in as always on uh, OTB Football Saturday Uh, We will be live until 7 o'clock not the usual 5 o'clock this evening of course because of the Six Nations Uh, Brent Pope and Fiona Hayes building up to Ireland Scotland next